The viewpoints expressed on Night Fright are not necessarily those of the host, the staff, the sponsors, or the affiliate stations. Tonight's program may contain graphic themes or images. Viewer discretion is advised. Showtime! Welcome to the show. I'm Brent Holland, and welcome, one and all, to Night Fright. Tonight, folks, I'm pumped. I'm pumped for one <laughs> reason only. You see that face next to me? The one and only Jim Mars returns tonight. Yeah, baby, the chairman of the board. How great is that? So get in the comfy chair, pull your feet up, kick back and relax, get the coffee going, get the tea going, or a beverage of your choice. Jim Mars is an award-winning journalist who actually writes and researches immaculately i may add his own books jim is unique in today's era and i'm going to tell you right now why jim doesn't copy and paste but he composes his own thoughts and ideas imagine that an original thinker hollywood director oliver stone used jim's groundbreaking book crossfire the plot that killed kennedy to base his feature film jfk on Alien Agenda, amazing book, folks, remains one of the biggest-selling UFO books of all time. Jim has authored The Terror Conspiracy, Rule uh, by Secrecy, Rise of the Fourth Reich, The Trillion Dollar Conspiracy, Population Control, How Corporate Owners Are Killing Us, and so many more, www.nightfrightshow.com. Click on the list of book covers there, right beside Jim's picture. We'll take you right to a spot where you can order them all from the comfort of your own home. It's gloomy out there tonight as we begin tonight, but perhaps by sharing some knowledge with you, we can shine a little light to brighten things up because knowledge is power, folks. It allows you to make calculated, informed decisions. Now, let me read this as an intro to our subject tonight. Beginning in 1992, Jim spent three years researching and completing a non-fiction book on a top-secret government program involving the psychic phenomenon known as remote viewing, only to have the book mysteriously canceled as it was going to press in the summer of 1995. Now remember that year 1995. It's going to come back and we're going to see why it was canceled. Within two months, the story of military-developed remote viewing broke nationally in the Washington Post after the CIA revealed the program but put their own spin on psychotic studies and psychic studies and Psy Spies, the name of Jim's book, was finally published by New Page Books in 2007. 
it's my great pleasure to welcome the one and only Jim Mars back to the show. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Jim. Hey, Brent. It's great to be with you. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think the reason I think the main reason they uh, canceled my book on uh, remote viewing was not because of the remote viewing. <clears throat> There were several other uh, remote viewers who were already uh, both in and out of the military that uh, were either preparing to write books or had already written. I think Joe McMonagle already had a book out there. Uh, Targ and them had already published some scientific papers about all this. Uh, the reason they stopped my book is because I pointed out quite truthfully that every single one of these military-trained Army intelligence officers who were using remote viewing had face-to-face -face contact with UFOs and their and their occupants, big. this big secret. You know, we're still not supposed to let everybody know for sure that that's real and that's happening. And why not? Okay, let me tell you. Here's why not. Okay, the the people who run this country, and I'm not talking about the president or the do nothing Congress. I'm talking about the financial bankers and financiers who actually run this country they own their well owe their wealth and power to their monopolies over medicine pharmaceuticals uh energy technology uh etc cetera, etc cetera. and that i don't think they really care if we know that there are aliens out there and that are visiting this earth from time to time because obviously they don't intend on invading us and blowing up our cities because if you you know as well as I do Brent that the UFO history goes all the way back through human history and if they were going to invade us they could have done it when all we had to face them with was spears uh, so that's not it but if here's what they're concerned about if we know for absolute certain that there's aliens out there and UFOs that are technologically far ahead of ours, then we know there's advanced technology out there uh, and we're not going to settle for the ever-increasing prices of gasoline and, and for them selling us energy and selling us pharmaceuticals and, and uh, all kinds of things that we, once we realize that there are alternative sources and technologies. That's what they don't want. Jim, I was going to ask you, how did you even get wind that there was a project like remote viewing out there, and I think the project was called Stargate Project, right. if I'm not mistaken. It started off in 72 at Stanford, but then got morphed into something called Stargate, which was more the military aspects of it. How'd you get wind of all this? When I got onto it, it was called Grill Flame. Uh, so, and actually that was, uh, probably 91 or 92. Okay. Uh, basically what happened was, uh, after the release of my book, Crossfire, the plot to kill Kennedy, and, uh, it hit New York times bestseller list. And, you know, I, it was a few months later, I get contacted by Oliver Stone's people. They want to do the big movie and it was a big deal. Well, as I would travel around the, yeah. As I try, well, and let me just, I'll say this is a coda to uh, Crossfire and the movie JFK. Uh, I'm not going to try to say either one are 100% ground truth, but it's closer to the truth than anyone else has been able, the public has been allowed to see about the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Uh, it essentially is true. Okay, so as I travel around the country, I'd be asking people, uh, I mean everybody, from publishers in New York to <clears throat> taxi drivers, 
I'd say, where do you think's the next big deep dark secret government cover up? And uh, Brent, almost unanimously, people would say, well, I would really like to know what's the truth about UFOs. You know, is there really something there? Is this real? Are they us? Is it, is it just secret test craft? What is it? And I thought, well, you know, I want, I'd like to know that too because I had been interested in UFOs since a, a kid in the early 50s. And <clears throat> as a newsman, I'd had the opportunity to speak to people who were intimately involved in that subject, like uh, um, uh, Donald Kehoe and, and Dr. Edward Teller um, and J. Allen Hynek mm -hmm. uh, and various people like that. And, uh, yeah, and I, it, it was obvious to me that something was going on, uh, okay? So I said, yeah, okay. So I, I had kind of gotten out of the UFO thing when I uh, left the newspaper and was trying to put out my own uh, rural publication. And if you think you don't make money working for a newspaper, just try owning one. <laughs> you, you go broke real quick. But uh, anyway, so I'd kind of gotten away from the UFO uh, community, research community. So I uh, started jumping back in there and I got a, a, a copy of a speech that Ed Dames had made. Uh, in Atlanta, Dames, sure. yeah, and uh, in there, he's just talking about well, the UFOs come from here and they go to there and they land there and they're carrying this and they're doing that, you know, very matter of factly. And it really piqued my interest. I thought, okay, now this guy is a military uh, intelligence agent, okay, he's in the military, uh, and he's acting like he knows exactly what all this stuff's doing. So I got in touch with him, and uh, that led to others uh, like Mel Riley and uh, David Morehouse, and then I, I just kept pursuing, and pretty soon I had the whole story of uh, the Army's remote viewing program, and I, and I, as a journalist and as a newsman, I thought, wow, what a hell of a story, you know? I said because number one, it's either BS, you know, it doesn't work, in which case this is a great waste of the taxpayer's money. Or, on the other hand, it does work, in which case, holy cow, this is a step, evolutionary step for mankind, you know. And that's exactly what it was. It, it's really amazing uh, what it can do with uh, remote viewing. Did you start off at Stanford doing your research? Um Stanford had the project in 1972, and they claim 65% accuracy with the mm -hmm. people that were involved with the program. People like Uri Geller, um, uh, Ingo Swan, and, and folks like that. Now, Uri was on the show, and he was telling us um, that he enjoyed it a lot because what he would do is he would sit there and uh, send numbers telepathically to people like Edgar Mitchell, the famous yeah. astronaut, right. and they would pick up on the numbers. And apparently yeah. the odds against that are, are phenomenal. Is that where you started? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I kept up with all that. In fact, I interviewed uh, um, 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 Ingo Swan. He was a fascinating person. Uh, and uh, Russell Targ um, and uh, 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 people like that. Um, the, uh, the thing that really just amazed me was that in the research and experiments they did at Stanford Research Institute, <clears throat> they found two things that are to me just amazing. One, that everybody they tested had this ability. 
You and I have this ability. Everybody's listening has the ability. Of course, that's like saying you and I have the ability to play Chopin on the piano. You know, well, well, yes, we have the ability if we want to take lessons and practice day after day after day. But chances are, if you play the piano at all, you play better than I do. You know, so it's a very individualistic thing. But the fact is, everybody has this psychic uh, acceptance. They can, they can. Uh, feel it. The second thing is, is that this phenomenon is not limited by time or space. You can go out and remote view other planets. You can go back in time and, and and look at things that have happened in the past. And you can even go into the future and look at things in the future. But now while I'm at that, I'm going to make this point because this to me is very, very important and very encouraging. When they go look in the past, Everything's set because it's already happened, you know, so no matter what they're looking at, there it is. Uh, a, a lot of the folks that are listening, you might you might have had this experience where you stop and you think, oh, uh, uh, my friend Joe's going to call me. And a few minutes later, the phone rings and there's Joe. And so we, we really all have this thing, but it's a very soft, quiet, subtle little signal. It's not like somebody shouting at you holding up a sign. So, number one, we all have the ability. Number two, it's not limited by time or space. Right. You can go back, look back in the past. You can look in the future. You can look out into space. And they even proved this uh, because back in the early 70s, Ingo Swan, another fella, went out and had a remote viewing uh, psychically, looked at uh, the planet Jupiter. Uh, and they wrote it all up, and they said, okay, it's actually got a little ring around it, kind of like Saturn, but it's very faint and small, so you don't really see it. It's got mountains. It's got uh, a um, magnetic field. And, of course, the scientific community said, well, that's real interesting, but how do we know that? You know, they, anybody, you could say anything. Well, about 10 years later, they sent Voyager out into space. They went and circled around Jupiter and started sending back all the information, and it was exactly as they had described. So this shows the validity of the remote viewing experience. Uh, the, the first time I ever tried it, uh, I, I ended up uh, seeing a, a, a viewing a office building that had not yet been built, and I drew the, the uh, floor plan, and a year or so later, uh, they gave me the official floor plan, and it was 100% accurate as to what I had drawn. So I had inadvertently looked into the future, you know. Jim, you're not reading my mind right now, are you? No, no. The things I have in my mind, you wouldn't want to draw on air, I'm just saying. Now, I... I <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I don't think I could describe it anyway. <laughs> now, I have a confession to make. Um, both you and I have a very good, had a very good friend, Professor Donald Smith, who used to teach at a place in Sudbury, Ontario, where I started this show, called Laurentian University. I took a remote viewing course there. And this stuff does work, folks. And I'm not kidding. This is not hocus-pocus, mumbo-jumbo. No, no, no. This is the real deal. But it didn't quite work the way I thought it was going to work. So what happened was, final test, we were all told to bring a picture in. And the, um, the professor was going to put the picture inside a brown envelope. And we were to pick one envelope, which we did. We picked one envelope. There was 10 pictures just one picture in one envelope. We picked one single brown envelope. We all focused our thoughts on it. And we were all told to write down on a piece of paper what we thought was inside it. Could have been diagrams, could have been numbers, could have been anything. And this is what we did. So 
all the girls, for some reason, after 10 minutes of focusing on this particular envelope, all the girls drew flowers. So I, we all thought, wow, that's kind of neat, because we hadn't opened up the picture yet. We didn't know what it was. All the boys, to a one, had drawn a triangle. In my case, I drew a triangle, a limousine, um, and I think a camera or something like that. So time had come. Open up. I'm going to speed it up. Time had come. We opened up the picture. It was a picture. One of the ladies that was inside the class, young lady, her friend had got married on the weekend. So we knew what the flowers were. We knew what the limousine was. We knew what the camera was. We couldn't figure out why all the, only the guys had drawn the triangles. Then we're looking, we're looking, we're looking, and all the girls that were in this picture all had low-cut dresses. <laughs> so we were all looking at cleavage, folks, just to say yeah. boys are pigs even when remote, remote viewing. But it does work. Well, aside. they say in remote viewing that the viewer, no matter what his tasking is, he's drawn to whatever interests him. <laughs> so I think, I think, I think that, that held up pretty true there. In other words, for example, uh, if, um, if um, you're doing military remote viewing and they want you to lo go look at some uh, terrorist headquarters, okay, well, it happens to be situated next to a circus. You're going to go look at the circus because <laughs> it's a lot more interesting, you know. Your attention is going to be drawn to that. Exactly. I know Ingo Swan told me about the time that he was uh, tasked to go look at uh, some kind of new uh, Russian submarine. And he started describing this round circular object and how it was hovering uh, over the, uh, the surface and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and these military generals are going, are you talking about this submarine? He said, no, I'm, I'm looking at this UFO that's hanging over it. <laughs> And they all went, stop, cut, you know, we don't want to hear about that. We're not even going to listen to that. Stop that, you know. And and that's the thing. They officially, the uh, remote viewers in the U.S. Army were never, ever tasked to go look for UFOs because, after all, the official government position is, well, they, they just don't exist. There's nothing there, folks. So they never were uh, told to go look for that. But they were told to go into look into the upper atmosphere and see about if there were any high-flying high-performance aircraft up there of course hoping to see if maybe the russians or the chinese or somebody had some kind of new uh new test plane up there you know well they'd go up they'd look around and as one of them told me he said i went up and took a look up there and said those guys are not even from the neighborhood <laughs> you know so they all they all inadvertently would come into contact for the UFOs because they're so ubiquitous. You know, they're just here. And even Uri Geller, when he was on the show, said he believed that this gift, he called it a gift, was given to him yes. by extraterrestrials. Isn't that funny? So this all ties it in together. Now, do you think, you know, going back to the ancient alien theory, do you think that this particular aspect of our DNA, I presume it's DNA, was given to us by them? as opposed to the rest of the animal kingdom? Well, it's, it, it doesn't matter what I think. The fact is, is that this was written down centuries ago. It was written down two or 3,000 years before the Bible was ever written down uh, in the um, 
cuneiform tablets of the ancient Sumerians. Now, when I was early in school, we were basically taught that the first uh, highly technological human civilization was the ancient Egyptians. But we now know that uh, they were just a follow-on civilization to the great Sumerian mm -hmm. civilization that uh, predates them by several thousand years. And that there were probably even um, civilizations even before that that we don't know about. Uh, so, but the ancient Sumerians go back at least seven uh, to nine thousand years, and they wrote everything down, just like the Egyptians, just like the Romans, just like the Nazis. They they were great record keepers. Okay, and every time that they would talk about how things got started, they would say uh, when the Anunnaki came. Well, the Anunnaki translates as those who came from the heavens and landed on the earth. And it said they came, in fact, uh, if you go and really make a serious study, you find that every Aboriginal uh, peoples in the world, whether it's the Aborigines of Australia, Dogon tribe in Africa, the uh, Celts, the um, uh, Mayans, the, the Aztecs, the Incas, the ancient Egyptians, the ancient Chinese, they all talk about these gods that flew through the sky yes, and do. would land and would teach them things, teach them agriculture, teach them law, teach them writing, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, uh, the idea that we just came out of the primordial mud and dragged ourselves up by our own bootstraps, that just, number one, doesn't seem to make any sense, and number two, uh, is answered by, their, uh, by the, these uh, writings and these texts that still exist. They, uh, they, and, and they, unlike the Egyptians or the Romans or like us, we got everything on paper. Well, paper can burn up in a fire. It can get destroyed in a war. It can rot and fall away if it gets flooded, and you lose a lot. The uh, ancient Sumerians etched all their writing uh, on these cuneiform tablets made out of clay, and then they'd bake them. So they're like stone, and there's like a half million of them still in existence uh, scattered around in the basements of museums all around the world and only about 20 percent of them have been um, translated um, i keep trying to encourage some young person if you're looking for something to do with your life <laughs> learn sumerian <laughs> and go visit those museums and find out what's the rest of the story you know and some of these questions like you have like i have like we all have might get answered might we might get an answer Absolutely. And Jim, I was thinking, you know, your analogy is very good about a hard copy. And I'm thinking in 100,000 years from now, there's not going to be any DVDs, there won't be any CDs left. But all of a sudden, somebody will come along with and find something white about 12 inches by 12 inches and open it up. It'll be the Beatles' white album. <laughs> no, what they're going to do is dig up an old Coke bottle and they're going to say, I wonder what this is. And the other one says, I don't know, but I think it's some kind of fetish to the female farm. You know, <laughs> they obviously were preoccupied with sex. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> well you know, you never know but what's going to be bad is is that you know a thousand years from now somebody says well i've got the whole human history right here on this flash drive <laughs> you know, but, and they probably but, will but, but, but they don't have anything to play it on you know they'll be so far advanced by then that you know they don't know what a flash drive is nor do they care hmm. Jim, I was making a jest at the beginning of the show. How do you find writing is today? All the books you read and things of that. Has it changed over the 
How do I find writing? Yeah, people, well, people I, who are I, writers, I, claim to I, be writers, I, researchers. I opened, up, I opened up these covers, you know, on these things called books, and, and there it is, writing. <laughs> <laughs> I guess what but, I'm asking is, has it changed? Has the quality of the research changed? certainly has. The other thing is that uh, I, I now, I, I, not being too silly, but I know what's in every book and every library in the world. Words. <laughs> yeah. No. What's the it's, one thing young writers, because I want, you know me, I always like to try and inspire the young folks who are listening. Yeah, me um, too. I have a different demographic than most roast radio shows. A lot of young kids tune in. So because I have a quality author on like yourself, and a, you know the most prominent researcher in conspiracy bar none what would you say to the young kids i'd say number one learn to read learn to read well mm. now once you learn to read well you're king of the world because uh especially it used to be when i was a young guy i'd have to go to a library and i had to learn the dewey decimal system and i had to go through those card files right and then you have to go search through those stacks today you just go boop, 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 you know go to google and you've got the entire human history and the entire uh, uh human knowledge at your fingertips and this is what really blows me away the younger generations today have more access to knowledge than any other generation in written human history. If you learn to read, I maintain that you can learn anything. You want to know auto mechanics? You want to know architecture? You want to know physics? You want to know any scientific things? You want to know history? You want to know literature? If you read, you know, just get on the computer and you can learn anything you want to learn. We are greatly benefited from the movie JFK, and of course your book was the foundation for that movie, because I think JFK may be the, the movie, folks, I'm talking about Oliver Stone's cinematic masterpiece, may be one of the most important movies in history of all time, because it opened up, it demanded, the people demanded after watching this movie that the files for JFK, some of them, were opened up, and Clinton followed suit. So actually yeah. George Bush was a senior at the time, but Clinton followed up on it once he was elected you wrote a wonderful intro to a book by sherry feaster can we talk a little bit about sherry feaster's work sherry gets beat up all the time on youtube uh on my youtube channel for her research people write in and they just can't entertain new ideas just all kinds of nasty things get said about her What's your feeling on her research? She's a CSI, folks. I should put it in context first. Sherry Feaster's a CSI. Her, her shows are there in the archives of Night Fright, of course. She used 21st century, 21st century forensics to find a frontal shot in the JFK assassination. Now, what isn't orthodox, the frontal shot, everybody thinks, came from the grassy knoll, the kill shot I'm talking about. Obviously, I think, my own opinion, I think there were shots from the grassy knoll without question, but she claims by using 21st forensic CSI crime scene investigation techniques, the kill shot came from the opposite side of Dealey Plaza, the, the south knoll. The south grassy knoll. Can you pick it up there, my friend? Well, yeah, and the thing is, she's using scientific methods. And, of course, you know, if you have hard scientific data, if it goes against the established scenario, then you got problems. <clears throat> it used to be anybody who said 
that uh, shots came from the grassy knoll was considered a nut and a kook because the official word was three shots from the school repository, you know, by Lee Harvey Oswald. Even though the evidence shows, I doubt he even fired a shot. Um, how can I say that? Well, number one, <clears throat> when the cops interviewed him and asked him where he was, he said he was in the downstairs lunchroom, and he correctly identified a couple of guys that were down there. How could he known they were down there unless he'd been there to see them? Um, they gave him a paraffin test, and it, it, while it did show some nitrates on his hand, it showed no gunpowder, and there was no gunpowder or nitrates on his face. And I can assure you that if he had to crank off three shots in six seconds with that old loose bolt Italian war rifle, every time he pulled, he, he could not have done that without keeping that rifle up next to his cheek, you know, in the classic rifle-firing position. And every time he would rack that bolt, that those gases would have hit him in the face so that showed he had not fired a rifle that day plus he he himself said no sir i didn't shoot anybody i'm just a patsy and that's been subjected to voice stress analysis shows he's telling the truth so you know so over the years all this came out and so finally most people now accept the idea that there was a grassy no gunman but the idea of another shot from the south no again just tends to strike people wrong because that goes against their belief systems but Interestingly enough, I had reason to suspect that there was a shot from the South Grassy Knoll uh, long before Sherry did her forensics work, but it was just based on some of the testimony and uh, based on uh, on theory, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And so I, I didn't really say much about that because I didn't think I had anything to back it up. But now we've got Sherry's work that would seem to back it up. And, of course, if this is all true, then we're talking about a, a real military-style ambush, okay? Yeah. This was not Oswald and some friend or, or, or a couple of goofballs. You know, this was a staged, well-organized, uh, and well-carried-out uh, military-style ambush using the latest techniques in, in shooting in uh, plastic sabots so they, they could shoot. So, and what that is, this is a real interesting thing. And, and one was found in Dealey Plaza, a little plastic uh, sleeve. <coughs> They're called a sabot uh, and uh, S-A-B-O-T. And what this is is you – all right. Instead of trying to explain it to you, I'll just tell you how it could have worked. Okay. Somebody, somebody takes uh, the Manlicker Carcano rifle, which they found in the garage of the Payne home, which means probably anybody could have got in there and got it at some point. You fire it into a barrel of water, and you retrieve the, uh, the uh, slug, and it's got rifling on it that matches the rifling of the Manlicker Carcano rifle. Now you take that and you put that in the plastic sleeve or the sabot, and then you seat that in a 30-06 shell casing, and you've got number one extreme, extreme uh, more power. <coughs> Excuse me. No worries. More power and more more velocity, which would cause an explosive effect when it hits the target, which is exactly what we see in the Zapruder film right exactly right yep. and yet and yet the pieces the plastic engages the 30-06 rifling and then it blows out the barrel and just falls off somewhere the slug goes on and when you recover the slug or pieces of the slug it's going to have the rifling not of the 30-06 that fired it but the manlicker carcano 
So this is how that they can say, well, this traces to Oswald's rifle, and yet it may not have been fired through Oswald's rifle. And by the way, the use of these husk bullets or sleeved sabot bullets, this was, I have an ad from a 1961 gun magazine advertising these bullets. And so it was a technology that was available in 1963. Jim, do you think... You know, every time I see a documentary or something like that on mainstream media, they always ridicule the researchers. I don't know if you found that. And they use, you know, Posner and they use Bugliosi. The same old names come up, the the ones that are against us, if you will. And, uh, you know, that, I remember... Please go ahead. That's about, that's about it. Exactly. Those two. <laughs> <laughs> and, you guys didn't must, do any research. And, and, yeah, well, they're paid. They were well paid. Okay, and well paid. And of course, uh, Bugalosi just blows me away because, uh, you know, I, I I never make fun of people who disagree with me. Everybody's entitled to opinion, and I respect everybody else's opinion. I respect it more if they have some facts and data and something to support their beliefs. But nevertheless, everybody can have a belief. But in Bugalosi's book, everybody who disagrees with him is a new a kook, a, a nut. Uh, you know, he's got about a dozen names he calls, he, and name-calling, that doesn't get anything. And the one that really gets me is he spends two and a half pages on a self-admitted phony conversation between some made-up mobster and Jack Ruby, and it sounds like a bad script from the pianos or whatever, you know, hey, Jack, we, we want you to whack Oswald, you know, uh, whoa, whoa, you know, what the matter, you know, what are you going to do about it, you know, and this type of thing, that's, that's not scholarship, that's no, not, it sure isn't. It it's sure not isn't. facts, and yet, you know, because he has name and because they, he has the establishment media behind him, mm -hmm. then his goes everywhere, you know, for give you another perfect example. You got a guy who was a ballistics expert, and he got the idea that, uh, <clears throat> well, maybe it was uh, seemed to be a high-powered bullet, so maybe it was fired from an AR-15. And he did a little bit of research, and he found out that the Secret Service agents in the backup car behind Kennedy uh, did carry. Uh, there was a Secret Service agent back there by the name of Hickey who did carry an AR-15, the civilian model of the M16 rifle. So he got the theory that perhaps Hickey stood up and was going to return fire at Oswald, but he slipped and he fell back and the gun went off and he accidentally shot Kennedy in the back of the head. You know, but uh, nobody wanted to admit that, so that's been covered up all these years. Well, that's an interesting theory, okay? But it didn't, the only problem is it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Okay? Now, you got all these people standing there within 10, 15 feet of both cars all the time. You got hundreds of people there. Not one of them said, by the way, the Secret Service agent behind slipped and shot him, you know. And, but anyway, so this cockamamie theory gets made into a book. It gets reviewed by the Washington Post and the New York Times, and it appears in Newsweek and in Time, and, you know, it goes all over the country, okay? And yet, we've got a guy who's still alive today, James Files, who's sitting in Joliet prison, uh, accused of shooting a cop, who has actually confessed to being the grassy Noel gunman, and there is physical evidence linking him uh, to Dealey Plaza, all right? Now, here's a heck of a story, and how many people have heard that? Not very many, because it gets no play. So, see, it's all in how you distribute the information. Jim, it's funny, you know, because uh, you're talking about 
wacky scenarios and things like that. One I heard on YouTube was somebody was claiming that um, not Greer, because that one's kind of been dismissed at this point, who was the driver, had turned around yeah. to shoot. That's gone. That it, Pretty much that's... Good. I been, hope so. Let's <laughs> leave that one to rest. Because <laughs> his hands never leave, the, you know. That's right. <laughs> the wheel. But the latest one has Governor Connolly killing JFK. <laughs> So my idea is he must have been, like, I don't know, he must have been very fast to jump around to the back of JFK, shoot him in the back of the head like the Warren Commission wants, right? And then uh, run back to, in time to be wounded. Well, <laughs> I've got, almost I, my, my, theory, my theory is that since we know that Kennedy's back wound was uh, below the shoulder blades yes, to sir. the right of the backbone, yes, sir. that's been clearly established. Yeah. And then he had a throat wound uh, at and is Adam's apple, okay? Well, that's an upward trajectory, isn't it? It'd okay, have to go right over so, Connolly's head. So the assassin was hiding in the trunk of the car. That must be it. <laughs> that must be it. <laughs> Counts for the upward trajectory. Oh, it's a, it's the silliest thing in the world. The pro here's the main problem. All all seriousness aside, uh, there has never ever yet been a in depth, honest probing investigation into the death of John Kennedy. Uh, the Warren Commission uh, started off with a predetermined conclusion. Oswald did it all by himself, and they cherry-picked the evidence to support that and conveniently left out anything that didn't support that, including witness testimony and evidence and everything else. And then we get to the House Select Committee on Assassination, and they did pretty much the same thing. Yes, they did. So they, they just started with the premise. In fact, uh, the uh, Blakey, who ended up being the, uh, the head of that committee, mm -hmm. uh, said right off the bat that they weren't going to look at any new evidence. They were simply going to go back and review the old evidence to make sure that it stood up scientifically. And, of course, it did not because they were forced to conclude at the very end of their committee life that, well, since we have two separate sets of acoustical scientists who said at least one shot came from the grassy knoll, uh, that there was probably a conspiracy, but the guy that fired from the knoll probably missed, and it was still Lee Harvey Oswald with three shots from the school book depository. So, you know, go back to bed, America. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. Yeah, it's unbelievable how, you know, they come out with this final conclusion that they feel it was probably a conspiracy, but all of a sudden we got to close our doors and there's no money to continue. What a shame. The assassination yeah. of the president of the country. And then, and then after the Stone movie, of course, that prompted a public outcry, yes. and they demanded that, some, that these documents be released, all the information be released. So Congress created the Assassination Records Review Board. And they had a mandate to go into any government office and file and dig out anything that had to do with that period of the Kennedy assassination, okay? And they did. They did a wonderful job, and they amassed this huge pile of information. But then they said, well, that was our job. Nobody said we had to make sense out of it, so they just left it there, a great big pile of information, and we still don't even know for sure what all they came up with. Yeah. Except, I'm, except I know some stuff, such as one of the things they came up with it was that the Zapruder film was altered that very weekend. Is that right? Do you know about this uh, YouTube thing, this new YouTube thing that's come out? What's it's, that? Well, YouTube allows, allows people to have channels. Um, right. And they put these little ads up. They give you a small percentage of the ads. Very, very small. Trust me on this. Not even <laughs> enough to buy this dollar pair of glasses, dollar store pair of glasses.
they have decided now that if they feel a video is too controversial, or if it talks about war, Second World War, Nazis, Hitler, all these things, things that people actually think, mm -hmm. and not stupid cat videos, and not makeup videos or gaming videos, they won't allow you to make any money off that. So what's going to end up happening is content makers of shows like this won't be able to make any money of the shows that they put up on to YouTube. So what that which means, means... Which means after a while they won't do it, right? Well, because, you know, I mean, I, 240 bucks for this mic, folks. Hello. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm right. saying? And, and, I mean, let's face it, it. It's all about the money. It is. You know, people have accused me of writing books just to make money. And I try to oh, tell them, God. look, when the New York Times, you know, prints an edition of the newspaper, uh, is it out of the goodness of their heart and to bring you the news? No, it's to sell advertising that they put in there so they can make money. It's all about money. If you don't make the money, you can't do anything. This is ridiculous. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Imagine that, a writer that actually and, wants to be paid for their work. God well, forbid. What I, what I, I'm just wondering about, what about the First Amendment that they not understand? I mean, I thought this was a free country. I thought we would have to, you know, now I, I'm the first to agree that uh, if you have a public uh, outlet like, like the Internet, okay, there, there probably may need to be some slight policing for, I don't know, sex and, and dirty words and, and really obscene stuff and, you know, horrendous, uh, well, I don't know, I start to say beheadings, but hell, you're going to have to have that if you're going to be covering the news, mm. right? Exactly. So I don't know. I don't know. I think I think it's up to parents to watch out and protect their children. And other than that, for grown people, hey, it's your own lookout. It's supposed to be freedom, you know. What a concept. Yeah, I was really upset because one of the shows that they um, they didn't allow me to make $10 off of for the year was a show on Benghazi. And uh, oh, I was listen. enraged. Absolutely outraged. Larry Hancock Watch, was on with his new book. I, I guess that we know who they're supporting for president. Holy cow. <laughs> what are your views on Benghazi? This is something we've never discussed, Jim. Now, I have to no. tell you, I, I was... Well, I know honored. all about Benghazi. It's all about the missile sales. See, we're selling, we're arming, we're creating. We created ISIS, okay? In fact, I can give you an exact date. You go back to September the 13th, 2013, and we find that Obama announced publicly that he was bypassing the U.S. laws that prohibit the sale of arms to known terrorist groups because he wanted to arm the Syrian rebels so they could overthrow Assad, a duly elected uh, president of a, you know, a their own country, you know, a nation. And... Uh, and, of course, that turned out to be ISIS. And uh, the Syrian rebels were rife with uh, al-Qaeda and with uh, uh, ISIS. And then, so then we were going to be selling them the Stinger missiles that they could be using. Okay. And ambassador, uh, uh, the ambassador there, there, the American ambassador, found out about this, queried about Chris it. Stevens. They found Chris Stevens. They knew that he knew that this under-the-table arms dealing to the uh, Syrian rebels was going on and that he was probably going to blow the whistle on them. And so uh, they either instigated or allowed an attack on the embassy that ended up as his death and the death of some of his Marine guards. And uh, when the U.S. military tried to respond, they were called off. It's that simple. But, you of know, course, they go through all this hoorah, you know, and this and that, and maybe this and maybe that, and blah, 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 you know, to try to keep the heat off because Obama's still in office. And Hillary's running for president. 
And she, as Secretary of the State, should have and would have the power to say, you know, let's say this. I, I'm reminded of American history, you know, back in the early uh, 1800s, the Barbary Pirates, right? That's right. And they, they were coming off the coast of Libya and off the coast of North Africa, and they were stopping American ships and killing Americans and robbing them. And uh, we said, uh, sorry, we're not going to allow that. And we sent the Marines over there, and we just kicked their royal behinds, you know. But uh, come on now, folks, what's happening today? Are we just a bunch of milk toast that every little ragtag bunch in the world can kick us around and we're not even going to do anything it's amazing you know and here and yet we are spending probably well over half maybe even three quarters of our entire national budget each year on military and defense spending okay and yet when it comes time for some defense they can't seem to work up the uh the courage to go and use it. Uh, it's absolutely amazing to me. Of course, I'm surprised we can even talk about this because, you know, like you said, you know, good thing we're not on YouTube or they'd censor us out. You couldn't talk about it. Couldn't tell people what really happened. No wonder we're in such a mess, okay? Because, very simply, I don't care if you're the most brilliant person on the face of the earth. You could have an IQ of 210, but if you're operating on incomplete or erroneous information, you'll never be able to make a decent decision on anything and that's why that the masses of people in this country today seem to be idiots because they're really not but they watch tv and they are being snowballed with incomplete and erroneous information and that's why they can't seem to make their uh, decent decision on anything and instead we're distracted with all these really important issues like should we let transgenders go in the men's room or the women's room or you know the one I saw the other day where they arrested and handcuffed and hauled off some kids between the age of six and ten years old because there had been a schoolyard fight and they didn't intervene Oh my goodness me! And the police arrested him. I mean, are we just we just gone nuts? I think you know. I, I think we've gone I insane agree. in this country. You know, yeah. and and the the main reason we're insane is because of lack of knowledge. We don't understand what's really going on. We don't understand who's really pulling the strings, and therefore we can't understand anything about what's really going on. Yeah, it's like if you have a book on Amazon and they pull a book. Because they say, oh, we don't, it's too controversial. You know, you're, you're talking about aliens, you're talking about 9-11, you're talking about all these controversial things. Never mind the great research you've done or the facts that are presented for people to think about. They just pull it because they feel that, well, maybe cooking books are safer. Oh, maybe pet care books are safer. This is yeah. so dangerous, folks. I can't tell you how dangerous and slippery this actual thing that's happening on YouTube is. It's terrifying. Absolutely. It is. Big Brother 1984 is right here at our door. And That's I right. can't say that strongly enough. I'm fighting it as best I can. But I'm going to continue. You know, one person can make a difference, and hopefully my efforts will cause people to rethink the policy. Hope so. Well, you, you hang in there, Brent, because if you go back and look through the entire history of the world, there's never been any good come out of a committee <laughs> or a crowd or a mob, okay? It's always been the individual. All right, whether you want to name Buddha, Christ, you know, the Caesar, the Fuhrer, you know, Napoleon, you know, Gandhi, good, bad, or indifferent. It's been the, the individual the that individual gets, the ball, get, gets the ball rolling, and then that's when things change. So I don't want people out there. I hear this all the time. I'm just one person. What can I do? Well, you can do whatever you can do. You know, you can do a lot.
Yeah. You can write letters to the editors. You can write letters and contact your radio and TV stations and demand that they tell you the truth. You know, or better yet, you can quit buying stuff that you don't agree with the company that produces it. Exactly. You know, I, I give you a good example. And buy here, American, buy Canadian, buy from your guys. Yes. And buy locally. And buy locally. Yes. Yes. As best you can. Just recently, Pepsi-Cola announced that they were pulling aspartame out of their diet drinks. Whoopee. Now, did they do that out of the kindness of their heart and the fact that they finally did their study and showed that it was poison? No, they did it because public pressure. And they admitted that. They said the public demanded this, and so they gave into it. And, uh, Brent, this is a really good example of how corporatism may be preferable to socialism because under socialism you'd have a bureaucrat running the whole thing and no matter how many people told him we want aspartame out of these drinks he wouldn't listen right because he's just waiting for his retirement and he and he answers to a boss and that's the only person he really listens to but under corporatism if enough people say we don't want that poison in our drink and we're not going to buy it then the corporate who's always worrying about the bottom line they go okay well we'll take it out so you can actually make some changes uh, under corporatism yeah you know i even had um on this same line, one person making a difference. I put a show up on Dr. King, and they felt that that didn't have any value. <laughs> Dr. King, folks. Yeah. I had to write to them and explain who Dr. King was. I, I couldn't believe it. I was stunned. Oh, oh! the ignorance today is ab ab abysmal. I, I, I wrote a, one of my past books. Uh, writing about the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the, the bank failures of 2008, I had a young editor who's supposed to be editing my books query me, asking me, what is a bank run? <laughs> can, oh can you imagine? God. Can so you, you have imagine? To, told him, tell him to read the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, read my book and you'll know. Jim, it, it, there's it, the music we got to run. Thank no, you so I, much for living through these nightmarish <laughs> interruptions well, by the we NSA. Got, we got food despite the technology. You're a great man, my friend. God bless. We'll see you soon. Thank you. First-person witness accounts. Order yours right now. Nightfrightshow.com. <laughs>